This has been a live recording of the Effing Shakespeare podcast by Bloomsday Literary at the 2023 AWP Conference and Book Fair. We're thankful to be the official podcast for AWP for a third year and have invited a gallery of guests that you don't want to miss out on. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you interviews of amazing writers sharing about their amazing work. Enjoy. Hello, podcast people. Welcome. Welcome back. Another installment of Bloomsday Literary Live from AWP. We have Dima Shahabi here today, a poet and just all-around literary rock star. Did two panels today and is now doing a podcast. Were the panels yesterday? When were the panels? Panels were yesterday, Okay, yes, so yes. you no, did good. get a, a night's sleep in between. Absolutely. Nice. Thanks for asking. Sure. <laughs> Sleep can be hard to come by at these events, as we were talking before we got on the mics. It can be really invigorating and then hard to kind of wind down. Yes. I mean, yeah. one of my friends described all our conversations re- recently as, like, bees and bees buzzing, and it really does feel like that. Yeah, I feel yeah. like we could mine that metaphor for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, let me introduce you. We are so excited to have poet Dima K. Shahabi here. She earned a BA in History and International Relations and an MS in Journalism from Boston University. Shahabi is the author of 13 Departures from the Moon with Press 53, as well as co-author of, I forgot to ask you how to pronounce, Diasporango. You got it, Diasporango. All right. That is her second book that she co-authored out with Holland Park Press. 2014. I'm feeling a little buzzy as well, so I'm going to try to slow down and be less of a bee and more of a slower insect. It will be a slower <laughs> insect, too. What, uh, a spider? Maybe? I'm going to be... A, there, no. Yeah, there's some sort of ominous about a spider. Rem- what, I mean... What, 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 Tima, do you have an idea? Yeah. Caterpillar? Oh, my God. oh yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. I like that. Until Deliberate. they become... Yeah. To, until it, they... It, yeah. yeah <laughs> a, a butterfly. I'm still <laughs> waiting for, for my butterfly <laughs> stage. <laughs> It's going to happen. <laughs> we like to have fun, okay? We like to have fun here on the yes, show. Yes, um, Okay, back to your impressive bio. Uh, her work has been featured on Poem a Day and also has been anthologized in the Poetry of Arab Women, a contemporary anthology out with Interlink Books. Welcome to the show. Thanks for making time. Thank you so much for having me, Kate, and thank you to Fu as well for your hosting us. Yeah. yeah I so appreciate that. Excellent. Um, I'm excited to be here, really. It's mm-hmm. been a wonderful journey so far. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to start by talking about your 2014 book of poetry. I find it so interesting. It was co-edited as a collection in response to the bombing of Baghdad Historical Literary District. Mm-hmm. And you collaborated with Jewish poet Marilyn Hacker on a book of Rengas that confronts what it means to be living in exile and how a sense of apathy can prevent us from really understanding or digging deep or figuring out what to do with the continuing hostilities that we're seeing ignited in the West Bank. We can see it in Ukraine. you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what, what a book like that collaboration, what's the place of that book in our political upheaval that we're experiencing now? Thank you so much. It's a very good question. 
You know, even though I think about what poetry can do to stand sort of against more economies in general, mm -hmm. and, and of course human rights abuses, I feel that through time, poetry is pretty much ignored or less ignored throughout time. Mm -hmm. But for me, poetry's power lies in its, of course, its ability to carry the most human of voices, the most human of voices. By centralizing the human voice, poetry rises above that fray of, mm. you know, even media speak is such a fray. Mm. And also, it not only rises above that fray, but also what I'm sensing more and more as time goes by are commodified, trend, more transactional relationships. Mm. So it offers a distilled and sculpted truth based on human experiences. Now, when Marilyn and I, what was beautiful about her correspondence, Marilyn sent me a rengo just out of the blue, not expecting for me to respond to the Renga. Um, once I did, and then she sent me another, and then another, and then the book just took place over four years before we published it. Oh my gosh. Wow. But it made it less... Just organically. Just organically. And she didn't even expect me to respond, but then I was like, oh, this is wonderful. And had you had a, a pre-existing relationship? <laughs> we were friends by email. I mean, oh, yeah. she lives in Paris, I live in Northern California, but she's there was something that you know we had just a humanity together mm. but I do want to say that when Marilyn and I began corresponding to another through the Ringa it, it didn't matter that she was Jewish and I was Palestinian it just mattered who we were to each other as poets and friends mm. a lot of the reviews at the time I felt came out and said and I felt this was kind of an artificial construct around the book calling it like a dialogue or interfaith dialogue and thereby just politicized it Mm. And that, I felt that was really genuinely all false. And I find that these labels and catchphrases are just that. Labels to distract from the private humanity of two individuals, if that we, makes sense. Absolutely. We just had a conversation with our previous podcast guest about mm. the importance of nuance. Mm. And that when we're talking, when we're assigning labels or you know, as you said, overtly politicizing a book that didn't start out, that didn't ask it those questions to be answered it was not that was not its purpose right rids any nuance it, it erases the nuance if we're, it if erases our we're humanity doing. as yes. two people mm -hmm. and so I just mm -hmm. I felt very strongly about that and I was always dismayed by the the media coverage over it and I, I just feel like sometimes as poets Arab American poets Palestinian American poets we have to sort of this is so weird but we have to I hope this comes on the right way, but teach people how to read us mm. properly. And, and that, and not to just contextualize it, but to, you know, just have people like, you know, if there's something, there's an illusion that's not understandable, Google it. You know, if there, it's not, all, the onus shouldn't always be on us. <laughs> yeah. No. To explain no. and explain. Exactly. Oh, I, yeah. uh, uh, to translate. To, trans to, to translate. Yeah, Thank uh, you. To that's be a, the tour guide. Yes. You know, on their journey. In their yeah. journey. Exactly. Yeah, no, mm -hmm, no. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, it's an, a form of exoticism, right? You absolutely. Know, the, yeah. It's the othering exoticism. Thank you for saying that. That's perfect. And also, for me, it's fascinating for me as a Palestinian woman living in the West, how certain wars are covered by the media. In the Ukraine war, for example, you see the media calling out the aggressor and labeling the Ukrainian resistance as freedom fighting, where it's virtually impossible, virtually for the media to call out Israel and its and its current onslaught on children and decades-long human rights abuses, or see Palestinian self-determination as humanity. And so that's always, and, and we, in our groups, and at, at Rawi, at, you know, and my group of poets, we're always 
we can't which help is, but notice uh, this radius of uh, Arab American writers, mm -hmm. which has you know been in existence for a long time and does wonderful advocacy work for the community, whether through workshops or marketing or um, you know I've attended several residences with them in the past and it's always been wonderful. And and so those groups sort of exist as a, a way to help lessen the burden for you as the poet of doing that heavy lifting? Absolutely. Like, for example, yesterday at our panel, which is called the panel on the mother tongue, um, an Egyptian political prisoner came up to us afterwards. Yeah. Wow. And he was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you guys are here. Oh. Um, I need a community. Um, the way that the, kind of the publishers want to sell me is in this... Um, I want to write a story about prison friendships, he said. Yeah. I don't want torture porn or... Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's... there. It's so important. And so for the, for him to be able to talk to others and Rawi just exists to alleviate that burden mm. to be in community. Yeah, I mean, if we're honest, it's hard enough to put the pen to paper as, a, as an artist who is tr trying to create beautiful art. Absolutely. And then have this whole other sort of institution that you're working, whether it be the journalists who are covering your piece or the way maybe the publisher is trying to position the book. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. And mm -hmm. it's a burden. And it's so it's so important. It's it's not just representation, but it's, you know, you need to tell your story in the way that you feel most, you know, most representative to who you are. Um, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, in, I had such a lovely time getting to know your work getting to know you as a poet um i found you first on on your poem poem a day poem that was oh, the okay. first thing i read mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um but in preparation for talking to you i read an interview where you described going on summer trips with your mother where you left your hometown of kuwait mm -hmm. and visited your mother's homeland in palestine mm -hmm. and you say and i'm going to quote this back to you because i thought it was so beautiful it was part of it was as if a part of her would expand tremendously within the context of her home, her history, and her family, and then that you understood her better in that context. And I meditated on that a little bit and then thought about the reversal of that if then there was a contraction. And I'd like to know when she would return home to Kuwait. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to hear maybe about your experience leaving and then you know what it's like to be in your home in California which is your home absolutely question yeah so I'd like to just know about if if you have the same the same contraction expansion experience or if it's a little bit different for you beautiful observation and beautiful question oh, thank, you. Mm -hmm. thank you I feel myself in a perpetual expansion and contraction perpetual okay. um, mm -hmm. In our panel yesterday with my Arab sisters, we discussed how those of us who grew up straddling two cultures live on the threshold of language's limitation and expanse. And so that does echo with my mother's own experience. And so I just, I'm, I'm beginning to understand that I'll just be in a perpetual state of flux and I'm okay with it as a, <laughs> an MO. At this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Palestinian author and scholar Edward Said, and musician as well, said, and here I quote, he says something really, I love this quote of his, the pathos of exile is in the loss of contact with solidity and satisfaction of earth, of earth. And he said, homecoming is then out of the question. Mm. So when I, you know, it's really interesting. And when I first arrived, um, 
to America as a young Palestinian from Kuwait. I sat, found, found out on the university lawn. I was a young woman, you know. And my dad stood there kind of looking down. He said, he noticed that I'm a little bit nervous about, it felt like an immigrant, you know, a kind of immigration, right? He says, you've come so far, Habibti, which means love, but there's no shame in turning back. And, you know, both my parents are gone now, and his words continue to haunt me because I have a deep sense that my history and renaissance will never be complete without return. Mm. Return, return. Where? Mm. I, I can't tell you. Um, and this is the truth about exiles in general. And, and I'll read kind of a poem which also sort of intersects. And, and, of course, I grew to love the earth mm. of California. Yeah. You know, I live in this beautiful valley that's surrounded by hills. In the spring, where we're having tons of rainstorms now, it's, it's verdant and green. It's green as far as the eyes can see, you know. Mm -hmm. And then in the summer, it turns the color, the yellow of a lion's back. Mm -hmm. And so it's just quite, you know, there's this movement of, um, of color. So this next poem, actually, and I'll read this to you, is intersects the landscapes of California and Palestine at uneven longitudes and it's both a conversation with belonging and language at the same time. Uh, it's called Tracery of Dune and Chamomile. It's after Marie Howe. Mm. It was only when your eyes finally closed against a weeping cherry, lashing your face in the spent season lashing roses spent in fugue with a long drought, the soil beneath sunflogged and showing its white wormy marrow, like it was the beginning again when we wrote each other supplicant sentences. But there was no beginning, as when you held a mirror to my face, saying, this is what language is, a smoke crumpling on the light, your voice beyond argument, insisting on joining the emphatic dead. When I realized how dream-led I am, my face not yet broken by butterflies. Defiled by roses, a garden, a garden lifting towards the Jura Mountains and drinking white butterflies with a half-red face. Greenhouses with Damascene roses brushing the distance. But there is no perfume in the air when in rows of successive summers the woodpecker maims two poplars in ritualistic primal and in the dream we patch those scars with sawdust filling until even our nails pierce yellow and our eyes float grit is this innocence lost i ask I as you swear your allegiance to poplars over the woodpecker mm smoke in my nostrils from the calder fire when flames sprout in the hills above Jerusalem unearthing Palestinian terraces swelling like topographic maps of our could have been childhood but there was no childhood that wasn't an allegory as when I stood outside watering the garden grapevines all the while feeding my eyes to the ashes and wondering about this colossal of origins when I finally understood your silence as hope, your non-belonging to me as hunger. Thank you for that. That's lovely. Thank so you. lovely. There are your butterflies. Yeah, I was thinking the butterfly themes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I, I feel transformed, but I feel transported. 
Lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. One of the things we do on the show is is talk about publishing journeys, mm-hmm. and I would love to talk about uh, maybe thirteen departures from the moon mm-hmm. and and what it was like, especially since we've already talked about the importance of having a publisher or a publicist or sort of the the machine that works around your book to help Mm -hmm. launch it into the world, the importance of that infrastructure to support the book in the way that it needs to be supported. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. In a way that makes sense to you as the author and and aligns with your values for the book. So maybe could we talk a little bit about how Manuscript came to be? Of course. And so when I, again, first arriving to um, as a Palestinian from Kuwait, I experienced a profound sense of alienation. Mm-hmm. Although poetry in English became a home that was more honest than like artificial acculturation and assimilation. And I'm, I'm, I'm so I'm thankful that we live in an America now that doesn't insist on assimilation, acculturation. I, there is that, uh, there is, there is, a, there is more celebration now of the of voices. You're feeling more space. Yeah, absolutely. For that. Yeah, absolutely. At and least in California. And <laughs> <laughs> We're from Texas. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're not feeling the space in Texas. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in Houston, so there is Yeah, there, no, there, Houston's. There, yeah, there mm-hmm. is space, but um, Texas is quite large also. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Very familiar with the. Uh, the further you get away from the cultural centers, the, the urban centers, the I think the less space. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There can be, right? You know? Oh, absolutely. I think that's true in California, by the way. Yep. Uh, yeah. So there's these pockets of, uh, you know, what can we call it? T- tolerance or understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's pockets that are that certainly, not, not, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then so for me, be, you know, writing erupted as a culmination of that sense of alienation and exile. So literally in college, I started writing in English. I took a bunch of poetry classes. Um, I was in Boston at the, at the time. And so as a culmination of exile and of being away from a sense of place, I, I found myself in writing both in the metaphysical and in the literal sense. Many of the earlier struggles, Kate, had to do with being in translation as a Palestinian-American poet and having to find um, a voice that bridged two sensibilities, right? Um, Namely, where I came from, where I am now, and my perception of what constituted expression in language at the time as a young uh, woman seemed diametrically opposed to the dominant modes of thinking at the time, which was, you know, poetry had to be purged of its historical and political references. And so I, you know, and so I think another mode of thinking was that language had to be restrained and cleansed of ornamental representation. And Mm. so my relationship with language had everything to do with my mother tongue and had everything to do with evocation of place and Mm. insistence on that spiritual and sensuous ethos. Back to the Saeed quote. Back to the Saeed quote. The earth. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Lovely. Who... Who helped you through that transition? Were there were there the people? Came, were it classes? Were was there a mentor? Really great questions. Um, the radius of Arab American writers, Ugh. perpetual. Naomi Shahab Nye, you know, yes. who is sometimes I, feel, I was telling my friend yesterday is a saint. Like is a saint is a saintly. She's living on this earth to uplift others. Yes. And um, mm. I'm I'm always moved by her. Mm. She was there. She put us in anthologies. Advocated for our work along with the radius of Arab American writers. And then finding other voices on the bookshelf like mine, 
pulling them out right and yeah so that yeah. was that's the best that is the best yes mm-hmm. yes yeah so. mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of awp like mm-hmm. yeah awp you get to see the people that you found on the bookshelves <laughs> oh 100 percent. Right? yeah i'm coming to awp for so long oh my goodness yes yes um it was a pleasure getting to know your work and a pleasure getting to talk to you today Oh, my, the pleasure was mine. Thank you so much. I do want to know, just lastly, as a sort of parting gift, <laughs> what's the most AWP thing you've overheard? AWP? I'm hungry. <laughs> that's a good one. To be honest. <laughs> okay, okay. No, that's great. Because there, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of things keeping us from, that a from lot. food. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Dima, we hope you have a lovely rest of your trip here. Thank you. Uh, I hope we can remain friends, and and I can't wait to see what's next for you and your writing. Thank you so much. It was lovely to meet you both. Honestly, a pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Effing Shakespeare is a production of Bloomsday Literary, hosted by Kate Martin-Williams, Jessica Cole, and produced by me, Fu Lu. Our trusty and hardworking intern is Elena Welsh. With special thanks to Juanita Lester and the AWP staff, without whom this would not be possible. 